You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, good morning. So good to be with you. I'd like to extend my welcome to you. If you are new or newish here, a very special welcome to you. And we hope that you're able to feel at home here among us. We are a community here in Coventry and further afield that believe that God is alive and that he is uh, all powerful and that he is in the business of changing our lives and changing us from glory to glory. We believe that he desires for us to be his and for us, uh, for, for him to be ours and for us to be his and that we would bring his kingdom in the earth, in the places where we are, where we're placed, where we work and study and live for the glory of his name. And if you're just joining us, welcome to be a part of this church family here. And uh, a big welcome to any of you that are joining us online today. Great to have you with us. Uh, well, I'm so super excited that this week and next week we are going to be speaking into this subject of set apart, set apart. And uh, in our life groups this week and then next week as well, we are going to be digging a little bit deeper, building on what happens here on Sundays into this idea of set apart. You know, right through the Bible, uh, you will see either the language specifically of set apart or the concept of set apart running as a thread that God is in the business of choosing a people who will be set apart unto him. And sometimes the language that comes across is sacred or consecrated or separate, but God has chosen a people in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were God's chosen people set apart to reflect his goodness and his glory into the earth. In the New Testament in Jesus, we are his people, the church, called to be set apart to this God. God, who is different to anybody else and anything else, anyone else, that we would be his people and reflect his glory. And God is looking for a people who are different, who are called out and marked for him and separate for him and belonging to him. You know, God, we've been singing just now, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. This, this idea is so present in scripture that the one that we serve is is holy. I think sometimes we can we can maybe think, I don't know if it's just me, we can maybe think that holy primarily means pure. But I want to tell you, purity is a mere subset of holy. Holy means altogether different, completely other. That when the angels sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord, they're saying different, different, different. There is, there is nobody like you, God. You alone are separate and entirely unto to yourself. You are, there is no other word than holy, meaning you are completely different to all others. And God, amen, Kachi, and God calls us to be a holy people, a different people, not the same, but different, that something would happen in us, completely different. In the ancient Hebrew lexicon by Jeff Benner, the Hebrew word for holy, Kodesh, which comes from the root word Kadesh, it says it's to be set apart for specific purpose. 
I think of the brilliant youth hoodies that we've got, saved, set apart, and set, set apart. It says, it says separate for called out for specific purpose. This is what holy means, separated for something different when applied to us. In Vine's Expository Dictionary, the New Testament word for holy, hagios, means separated. Separated, separated from sin and separated to God. This idea of us being set apart is such an important part of what it means to be Christian. 1 Peter 1.16 reminds us that God himself says to us. You see, Peter is writing to the church. So imagine he's saying to you today, and this is what God says, Be holy as I am holy. Now God, if God is completely different, I think we can accept that idea. Who is like God in the heavens and on the earth? No one. But he says, be holy even as I am holy. Be different as I am different. Be set apart. My friends, this could feel like a demand, but I, I, and, and in a way it is. It's a call. It's a charge. There's urgency that would be different. But it is also a response. It is primarily a response to what God has done for us, that we would be different. Last week, John Andrews used this beautiful phrase, if we open our hearts to him, he opens his world to us. Really, this is in the same vein of what, as where we are this week, next week, that actually God calls us to open our hearts to him, that he would open his whole world to us, that this incredible God calls us to be different so that everything that he is can be ours. When Esther and I got married, we made vows to one another. I made a vow and I said, forsaking all others, I promise to be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. I said, everything I am, I give to you, and everything I have, which at that moment was not a lot, um, I, I share with you within the love of God. But here's the thing. She didn't just say, oh, thank you. She also made a vow. She said the same thing. It's covenant. It wasn't a one-way street. She said, and, and forsaking all others, I'll be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And, and all that I am and, and all that I have, which was even less than I had, um, she said, I, I will share with you. It's called covenant. Covenant that we, we make a promise. And it is so similar with God. He says, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. But that we would come and say, and all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. And this is what it means to be Christian. You see, when, when I became a Christian, most of you have heard my story at some point, 17 years of age when my family was ambushed by Jesus. I wrestled with the idea of the cross and I came to a point of surrender and I walked down the front of a little inner city Anglican church in Nottingham and I prayed a prayer to follow Jesus. What I was doing in that moment as I was responding to the message of the cross, I had come to understand that I was a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus had died on the cross and taken my sin and I was responding to say, thank you, please forgive me, make me clean, and I choose to follow you. But I had no idea in that moment how much God had done for me. Yeah. I, had, I had no clue. I, had, I thought I had got it. I thought I'd understood the gospel. And in its simplest, purest sense of what the cross means, I had but I didn't know the call on my life. And I'm not talking about the call to pastoral ministry. I mean the call of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I didn't know I was a son of God. I didn't know I was a child of God. I didn't know I was, I was called holy. I didn't know that I was a priest. 
I didn't, I didn't know that I was utterly transformed. I didn't know that, that my name was written in the Lamb's book of life. I didn't know I'd been transformed from darkness into light. I didn't know this stuff. And I thought my Christianity was defined in my belief that I had changed my theological convictions. So I now believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But let me tell you, the demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not spitting on belief. Christianity begins with belief, but it is so much more. And we have to get beyond this idea that I'm Christian because I believe something. I'm Christian because I am something by the grace of God. And I'm seeking to respond to this incredible news. If you want a title for this week's part one, if you like, of Set Apart, it is Once But Now. Once But Now. In, in uh, the, the words we'll come to in a moment, we will see this incredible transformation that God has brought into our lives. You see, one of the most powerful pictures of the Old Testament and we've got to understand so much of the Old Testament. It, it's factual and it happened. It's not fable. But it is also a shadow and a type of pointing to what is to come in Christ. And one of the biggest pictures of the Old Testament is Israel, captive, slaves in Egypt, set free from captivity by the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts that would deliver them from death, that they would pass through the Red Sea and they would be destined for something called the Promised Land. And it's, it's an incredible story in and of itself that actually happened, but it's also a picture of us, slaves to sin in captivity, unable to free ourselves, delivered by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, passing through not the Red Sea, but the waters of baptism, destined for the promised land. But here's the thing, if you read your Old Testament, they don't land in the promised land, they land in the wilderness. And to get to the promised land, to get to the fullness of what God has promised, you find ideas like wholehearted following. Because I followed the Lord wholeheartedly, Caleb says. That we, we find faith and we find courage. We find consecration. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God will do amazing things. We see Gilgal, Joshua 5, before they take Jericho, where, where he says, take out your flint knives, circumcise a generation. And he says, see today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from, he says, there's something on you from your past and I want to deliver you from it before you get into the promised land. And these are all pictures of what it is in the Christian life. You see, I, I got saved by the grace of God, age 17. But in a way, I entered into the wilderness until I understood what it was to fully surrender, till I understood what it was to be a set-apart person. And then I started to enter into promised land Christianity. And some of us, we wonder why, why there isn't more. We long for more because actually there's part of too much of our lives is a kind of, it's, we're delivered from sin, but we're living in wilderness mentality. And God wants us to enter in to promised land. But to do that, we have to be set apart. A set apart people set apart for God. Why don't you come with me to the book of 1 Peter and chapter 2 in the New Testament. Peter is writing here to the church, of, as I've just mentioned in the next chapter, from where he says, Be holy as I am holy. He says this, breaking in at verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this is too rich for us today. We're not going to be able to do it justice, but let's keep going. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe... This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And here we go, but you, but you, just, just, just look at someone and say, but you, because this is you. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Oh, my days. My friends, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. I say it again. Everything has changed. We think a little bit is strange. Everything has changed. You, you maybe didn't realize it. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. I want to tell you, everything has changed. Be reminded today that not a little bit has changed. Everything has changed. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Peter, the one who'd been with Jesus on the water, the one who'd been in the glory cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration, the one who was in the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, the one who ran into the tomb and saw the, the, the grave clothes folded up, the one who was, who was greeted by Jesus on the beach and reinstored, the one who looked up into the sky as Jesus ascended in bodily form to the Father, the one who was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit poured out like tongues of fire. He writes and he says, but you... But you, once you were something, but now. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Once you were in darkness, but now you are in light. My friend, once you were dead in your transgressions and sin, but now you are alive in Christ. Once you were far from God, but now you have been brought near. Once you were lost, but now you're found. Once you were estranged, but now you are called child, son, daughter. Once you were a slave to sin, but now you are freed from sin. Once you were without purpose in the earth, but now you are a royal priesthood. My friends, once you were wretched and condemned, but now you are loved and redeemed. Once you were blind... But now you can see once you were destined for forever without God, but now your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Once you were banished from his presence, but now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and come right into the holy place. Once you are on your own in the world, but now you can walk in the favor of the Almighty. Once you were tossed around by every circumstance, but now you have an anchor for your soul, a rock whose name is Jesus. 
once you were without protection. But now the promise of the Bible is that no weapon forged against you will prosper. Once you were in darkness, but now you're in the light. Once you were outside of his grace, but now you're set apart for his glory. Once, but now. Once you were something, but now everything has changed. Once but now speaks of three fundamental changes. Firstly, it's changed who you are. It's changed who you are. I'm painfully aware I can't do this justice in the scope of this message, but I want to tell you what, I want to remind those who need a reminder and break the news to those who have never really grasped it. You are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. That means he chose you. It means he desires you. He means he wants you. He wanted you and he wants you. He chose you for his own. You are the apple of his eye. Your name is engraved on the palm of his hand. He chose you because he adores you. Brennan Manning, in, in the most beautiful way, 50, 60 years of following Jesus, through, through thousands of hours of prayer and meditation, he says, I am convinced. Before his death, he said, I am convinced that when we see him face to face, he will ask us one question and one question only. And he says, I believe he'll ask you this. Did you believe that I loved you? Did you truly believe that? Did you believe that I desired you? Did you believe that I waited for you day after day? And Brennan Manning says, the true believers will say, yes, Lord. I believed it and I sought to shape my life in response to it. And he says, so many nominal Christians will say, well, uh, sir, if I'm honest, I, I, I'm not sure I ever believed it. I mean, I, I heard a lot of sermons about it. I even preached one or two myself. But I, I kind of figured it was a manner of speaking and I never really came to, to grips with that truth. And he says, there will be the difference between the true believers and those who are nominal Christians. My friend, you are chosen. He loves you. You're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a priest. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a priest. You know, we, I'm serious. You, you, many of you don't believe this, but we believe here in the priesthood of all believers. Don't think Esther and I are priests without thinking you're a priest. You're as much a priest as I am. The fact I might have an assignment to stand here on a Sunday, you have an assignment to go into your place of work tomorrow, and you're still a priest. You're as much a priest as I'm a priest. You might go into your university tomorrow, you're every much a priest as I'm a priest. Lee, when you go to people's houses this week, you're a priest, ordained by God to carry his presence. Set apart that you might go and bring words of life. You're probably going to meet more people who don't know Jesus than I am this week. I'm cheering you on, because you're a priest on the front line. You're not just a priest, you're a royal priest. In the Old Testament, you, you couldn't be king and priest. But you see, we're, we're under the authority. We have come into the royal family, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he says, your priesthood is a royal priesthood. You have not only the ordination to be a priest, to minister his grace, to be one that stands in between those who know God and those who don't know God. You also carry the authority of the king when you go to places. And you can bind and you can loose because you're not just a priesthood, you're a royal priesthood. My friends, you are a holy nation, set apart for his glory, called to be different. Do you notice it says nation and people and priesthood? 
It's not possible to do true Christianity by yourself. We're part of a family. It's why, we, why we, we must be part of life groups or connected in some way in community. We not just need one another, we're designed for one another. We're part of a priesthood. We're part of a nation. We're part of a people. A holy nation. A people that are set apart. We are called to be set apart. You are a people belonging to God. That means that you're his and he's yours. You belong to him. It means that, that if you open your heart to him where we were last week, he opens his whole world to you. So I was able to say not long ago, Lord, somebody's just crashed into your car and you're going to need to sort it out. Because it's not my car, it's his car. Hello? Because I'm his and he's mine. I'm a, I belong to him. And here's the thing. If I dare say it, but I believe my Bible tells me that I can, he belongs to me. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. He's given himself to me. You are a holy nation, and you are a people belonging to God. My friends, you are a living stone in a spiritual house. That means that, that here God is doing something through this congregation, as he is in every congregation where Jesus is preached on the pulpit. But this is a spiritual house, and you are a living stone. You have a part to play. You, you are, there might be change in different seasons, but you have a part to play. That when you serve on a team, when you're, when you're in the worship team, when you lead a life group, when you're part of the youth team or the student team or the kids team, and you, you serve and you play a part of the whole of what God is doing on a missions team, doing something to be part of what God is doing because he's placed you. Don't be a stone that's waiting to be placed out on a heap somewhere. Be in the spiritual house that God is raising to change the earth for his glory. You're a living stone connected to others, connected to those around you. And, my friends, you are an alien and a stranger in the world. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say you're an alien? You knew there was something funny about them, right? Do you know what this means? He says, as aliens and strangers in the world. Why? Because everything has changed. Everything has changed. Our citizenship is in heaven, which means some things don't feel right anymore. There are some jokes I used to find funny. I don't find them funny anymore. I'm not trying to be a prude. It's just some things have changed. In fact, everything has changed. Some language that used to come out of my mouth, I find offensive now. Because the Holy Spirit is in me. And sometimes, I don't know whether it's just me, but sometimes I can feel like a fish out of water. I'm not trying to be a fish out of water. I want to connect with the people around me. I, I want to be a blessing. I want to, I want to be approachable and accessible. But, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel different now. Anybody feel different now? Why? Because everything's changed because we are a set-apart people. It changes who we are. He says, as aliens and strangers in the world. Why? Because we are called out. I can't come to the front of a church and give my life to Jesus and not realize that everything has changed. It took some time as it takes time. It's the work of the Spirit in us. It's sanctification. But little by little, things that were in me, they started to change. And my attitude changed. And and what I was passionate about changed. And what I could tolerate changed. Why? Because we are a holy people. My friends, it changes 
who we are, but it also changes how we are. It has changed how you are, or at least it should do it. You know, my friends, everything is by grace. It's everything is by grace. We, we cannot earn his favor. But he calls us to be set apart for him, which means it doesn't just change who we are, it changes how we are. You see, we can't truly be a holy nation and be an unholy people. Hello? How can we be a holy nation and be an unholy people? So he's done everything for us, but something is changing in us. And it changes not just who we are, it has to change how we are. And how does it work? Well, it works because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. He is transforming us from the inside out, but we also have to cooperate, which means it is, it is a combination of the work of grace in us by the Holy Spirit and decisions that we make day in, day out. This is why Peter says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, as aliens and strangers in the world, this is what happens in nearly all of Paul's letters. He writes, this is what God has done. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. And then he stops and he clears his throat at about chapter 3 and goes, mm-hmm. it's going to mean something therefore. What does it mean? What do we do in view of this news? How do we respond because of this? Well, it means that we have to live different. He's called us out to be different, so be different. Um, amen. This is why this message is so important for us because we we can't enter promised land of his glory and his presence and his power and live as wilderness people and i believe that god wants to do something awesome in your life and in our our community this year 2022 I'm believing and praying for a step change year as we come out of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I believe he wants to reveal his glory in fresh ways. I believe he wants to uh, fill your homes with his presence. I believe as you go into places, people are going to say, what is it about you? I believe this. I believe there are going to be miracles, signs and wonders in the house, but out from the house. That more sick will be prayed for out of the house than in the house. But, my friends, if we are going to live in promised land Christianity, we have to move out of wilderness behavior. It doesn't change only who we are, but how we are. And I'm burdened for the church in my day. I'm concerned about popular preaching on the internet that promises blessing without obedience, that offers favor without surrender, that preaches power without consecration, and deliverance without repentance. And finding without seeking, because I don't find that in my Bible. It's all by grace, but it's not a one-way covenant. It's a two-way call. You've been called out of darkness into light, but we have to live as people of the light. Hello? Oh, God, would you help us? Ephesians 4 puts it like this. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. See, this is the language of the New Testament. Peter, where we were, I I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There is a battle and there will be a battle. Ephesians 4, I tell you this, I insist upon it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. 
They, are, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off, can we say put off? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on, can we say put on? Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Maybe some of you young people have, have grown up in church and you, you don't really feel like you had a, a former way of life. But I tell you, within each one of us, there is the sinful nature, there is the flesh, there is the old man, that former way of doing things or what that we would have been and that we would have done. And, and Paul is saying, put off the old man and put on the new man. I really would love us to try and get this and to, to help us. I've, I've asked one of our outstanding young people to come and help me. Would you welcome Nathan Hart as he, as he comes up, up here? Hey, Nathan. I should have gone for someone shorter. Um, the, uh, friends, I... I know not every one of us is going to be a football fan here, but just get this picture. And also understand, a picture will only go so far. But Paul talks about putting on and putting off. I want to imagine that, that you're a football player and you're, and you're playing for just this terrible dog-end team, a foul-mouthed team, a fouling team, a, a bottom of the lowest possible league team. Well, we'll call them Park End, no, no, not Arsenal. We'll call them, we'll, we'll, we'll call them, we'll, we'll call them Park End. So, so Nathan, listen, I, I want you to put on, put on your, your Park End shirt. It's a, it's a bit dirty, but the old self is a little bit dirty. And, and I want to imagine that you're playing for Park End and, and two players have been sent off already and you're losing 8-0. And for some reason that you'll never quite understand, uh, Gareth Southgate, the manager of England, is walking his dog right by where you're playing. And he's stops and he sees you and even though your team is a disaster he sees something in you and he and he stops and he waits for the end of the game and he pulls you aside and he says hey I see something in you and I want you to come and train with and play for England and at first you can't compute it you can't take it on you you can't accept it but he insists and he goes after you and he writes to you and he phones you and he invites you to come to to St. George's Park the state-of-the-art training facility and you end up accepting his invitation and you go and uh, you, you better take your, your park end shirt off and, and you get there and he comes and he has got a brand new shirt for you. And it's not any old shirt, it's, it's got your name on it because you are called by name. So you better, you better put that on because actually you're going to look better in the new than in the old because this is what happens because something better has happened to us. And there comes a moment when you're about, to, you're about to get ready for a game at Wembley Stadium. A full house, a sellout crowd, 90,000 people. Let me tell you, uh, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Elijah and Moses and Deborah and Esther, they're cheering you on tomorrow when you go to the workplace. And they're saying, put on the new self and put off the old self. And you get into the changing room and your shirt is hanging there. I better get it back off you because it's, it's hanging in the changing room. Thank you, Nathan. So we'll, we'll do this. It's hanging and it's there. It's uh, waiting for you and you're ready. And Harry Kane is there and Raheem Sterling is there. And there's your shirt. Number seven heart is waiting for you. 
and everyone's getting ready to go out in front of a great cloud of witnesses, but some urge that you cannot explain, something within you pulls out of your bag, even with your shirt hanging there, your old park end shirt, and you start putting it on. And everyone else is putting on their England shirt because they're, they're ready to go and play. And you start putting on your, your park end shirt. And people are looking at you going, what, what are you doing? And Gareth comes in, he says, what on earth are you doing? You, you're, once you were a park end player, but now, but now everything has changed. Take it, put off the old self. You're doing a great job, Nathan. And, and, and put on, put on the new self. Because once but now, once but now. Can you give Nathan a, a, a big hand? Keep that, keep that one on. But here's the thing, friends, that tomorrow when, when you let your anger boil over and cuss and swear, you're putting on the old self. When you look at pornography and make choices that, that you know you don't really want to make, you're putting on the old self. When you act with a mean spirit, you're putting on the old self. When you compromise sexually, you're putting on the old self. My friends, it's not who you are anymore. When you fail to tell the truth or act with integrity to try and make yourself look better, you, you're just putting on the old self when you willfully hold on to unforgiveness. And, and hear me, because I understand there are some hurts and some abuses that are so deep that it needs help and grace and a journey. But when we harden our hearts and we refuse grace to come in because we want to hold somebody in a place of unforgiveness and we say no to the grace of God, we're, do you know what? We're just putting on the old self. But my friend, when you cry out to God for help, even in your most vulnerable moment, even in the midst of a sinful choice, you put on the new self. When you find someone to confide in and, and you make a choice, even though you're terrified to do so, to bring what the enemy desperately wants you to keep in the dark into the light, you are putting on the new self. And you begin to break its power when you resist the flesh and choose generosity and to live by faith. You're putting on the new self. Because once you were something, but now you're something else. When you walk quietly out of the staff room where there's a toxic conversation, and maybe there's a time to speak up, maybe there's a time to just gently withdraw and go and pray, my friend, you're putting on the new self. Aliens and strangers in the world. I'm not looking for us to be odd, but my friends, we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. When you turn off that program that's not doing your spirit good, you put on the new self. When you choose grace and kindness instead of frustration, you're putting on the new self. And none of us are going to get it right all the time. But I want to urge us, or as Paul says, insist upon it in the Lord that we seek to put on the new self and put off the old self. My dear friends, we are set apart. Why does the band come and join me? Because once we were some things, but now, but now, but now, we are the people of God. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. 
We are people belonging to God. Once we were not a people. Once we were not a priesthood. Once we were unholy. But now God has brought us out of darkness and into light. He has set us apart for himself. My friends, let's live set apart. We put off what is old and we put on what is new by the grace of God. Time is gone. Let me touch on a third idea ever so briefly. We may come into a little bit more depth on this next week. But once but now hasn't just changed who you are and how you are. It's changed what you are. And what I mean by that is to be set apart is to be a signpost. God set apart people for always to reveal his glory into the earth. That when we live set apart, something happens and those around us can get to see his glory. They see the work of God, his grace and his love within us. You know, Jesus, what did Jesus leave on the earth? Did he, did he write any books that we might read his writings? Did, do you know what he left on the earth? He left a holy people. That's all he left. And he went to the Father, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. But all he left as a signpost to himself is you. That's all he's left in this generation. And we thank God for his word. I'm not decrying the sacred holy scriptures. But when he went, he, he left the 12. He left the 120 as a signpost, as a set-apart people that him in them would reveal the glory of God in the earth. That as a set-apart people, as a different people, as a holy people, the world may see something. The passage today, Peter puts it like this, live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town or a city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My friends, we have no idea who's watching sometimes, who's observing people looking for an authentic experience of God in the earth and his set apart people will reflect his glory it changes who we are it changes how we are it changes what we are his glory his presence are not just for my blessing it's as a signpost to the world you become a signpost let your light shine I wonder friends can we pray Today, we might want to thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his call. We might also, like me, want and need to pray. Say, God, would you help me? Help me to put off the old self and put on the new self. Help me to live set apart. I'm going to invite you to respond as you need to respond. Some of you might want to kneel down. You might want to stand up. I'm going to encourage you just to begin to pray where you are. If you're joining us online, begin to give thanks to God that he's called you out of darkness and into light. You might want to pray, oh God, would you help me? Forgive me the times that I get it wrong, but let me live set apart for you. Let me live holy for you. 
Let me walk in the fullness of what you have. Let me be a signpost to those around me. In just a moment, the band are going to play a new song. I'm going to encourage that we just let them to play through her once or twice as we respond in prayer today. And then when you're ready, begin to join with the band as a response. Lord, we thank you that you saw us wretched though we were and you called us. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We pray, God, would you help us to live set apart for your glory?